Hi, I'm Patricia. Welcome to the fifth episode of A Breath of Song. I'm so glad you chose to do this today, which is extra special because Maggie Wheeler is joining us for a songwriter conversation. Maggie once said, I act for my supper and I sing for my soul. We are here to find wellness one song at a time. Trust me, your voice is just perfect for this. I'm coming to you straight from my home in Vermont, and Maggie is joining from her home in Los Angeles. Hello, everybody. I'm so, so happy to be here and looking forward to singing with you. All our voices today will turn up just as they are, creaky, smooth, on pitch, wandering. Doesn't matter what, we can feel the connection to our breath and the vibration in our body. Let's find how good it can feel to sing. So last week I shared Maggie's song, Let It Blow Through. Today, Maggie will be teaching us another beautiful song of hers called Find Our Way Home. We'll sing it several times so it can settle inside you and you can begin to trust it as a resource. Let it move you into a state of flow. Then we get to enjoy a conversation with Maggie and we'll close out with the song again at the end. I might even sing with her at that point. You'll always be able to find this episode on the website, abreathofsong.com, or wherever you get your podcasts, and listen as many times as you'd like. So let's start with a good yawn stretch. Maybe roll your shoulders a bit. Stretch out your back, whatever feels good. How about some hum sighs of appreciation? You'll be able to hear both Maggie and me. Some oohs and ahs that sort of slide up and down your spine. Yeah, and Maggie, I'll turn it over to you to share the song. Oh, thank you so much, Patricia. This song is called Find Our Way Home. And I wrote it in the midst of this past year, which has been so challenging for so many. And I was out for a walk, uh, which is when many songs came to visit me in this past year. And I just began to sing the refrain of this first part that I'll teach you. This song has three or four sections. I forgot to look at it and count. Uh, But let's see. Yeah, it it has three or four sections. The first one says, We are out here in the open water, no clear direction to carry on. We are out here in the open water. Together we'll find, find our way home. And, uh, and the second part says, we are out here together. And it just repeats, we are out here together. So if I, as I teach you these parts and you hear them, I think you can just sit into the, which part resonates with you, which part feels comfortable to sing. Uh, is it the verse that's asking the question? Is it the second section that's a sort of a statement saying we are out here together? And then the third section says, together we'll shine the light, together we'll shine, together we'll find, find our way home. So I'm going to go through these little individual parts with you, and then we'll put them all together and hear what they sound like. This is the first part that you'll hear. 
We are out here in the open water, no clear direction to carry on. We are out here in the open water, together we'll find, find our way home. So that is part one, and I'm going to sing it again just so that you can hear it twice. We are out here in the open water, no clear direction to carry on. We are out here in the open water, together we'll find, find our way home. That's part one, and it just repeats all the way through the song. Part two which says we are out here together. Uh, let me just find the, the note and, and so I can sing it to you a little bit. Here it goes. We are out here together. We are out here together. Now you can hear in that little bit of the recording, there's lots of harmonies. So you're hearing the melody which sings, we are out here together over and over. We are out here together. We are out here together. And you might also hear those harmonies, which uh, I, you'll, you will hear. We are out here together. That's the higher one. We are out here together. And you might hear what what I'm singing below that. We are out here together. That's what I'm singing below. We are out here together. We are out here together. And so you hear those harmonies come together on that part too. And then the final part that you'll hear is the part that says together will shine a light. And it comes in a little bit later in the song. And I'm going to play this little bit of a recording so you can hear how it relates to the first part of the song. Uh, so here we go. Let me just scooch ahead and find it. We are out here so this is the melody. The open water. Together we'll shine a light. Together we'll shine. And then we wait a minute. We come back. Together we'll find, find our way home. We wait a minute. Hear the melody. Together we'll shine a light. Together we'll shine. And then we wait again. Together we'll find, find our way home. And that is what happens in this song. Part one sings, we are out here in the open water, no clear direction to carry on. Part two sings, we are out here together. And part three sings, together will shine a light. So I'm going to play the recording and sing along with it. And you'll hear when each of those new parts come in. And I hope you'll find the one that feels the best to you and sing with me. We are out here in the open water, no clear direction to carry on. 
We are out here in the open water. Together we'll find, find our way home. We are out here in the open water. No clear direction to carry on. We are out here in the open water. Together we'll find, find our way home. We are out here. We are out here together. This is part two. We are out here together. 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 Here comes part three. Together we'll shine. Together we'll find, find our way home. Together, together we'll shine a light. Together we'll shine. Together we'll find, find our way home. Together we'll find, find our way home. Together we'll find. Find our way home, together we'll find, find our way home, together we'll find, find our way home, together. <sighs> oh, Maggie, that song makes me feel so comforted i'm so glad when it when it came to me when i was on that walk i really felt the rhythm of the water the rhythm of the waves the rhythm the peaceful rhythm of the water that we are all in the in together you know as opposed mm. to the turbulent mm -hmm. water that just that really that comforting rocking of the waves and the fact that if you look in the distance you can see the shore and it may take a minute to get there but you'll see it. It's beautiful. Thank you. So I have so many questions for you. I'd like to start just thinking about your voice. I'd love to know what the first sound you usually make in the morning is. I think it's a stretch and a groan, probably. Good. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you give it to us? The oh, groan. I think that's probably what Excellent. I do first thing in the Excellent. morning. <laughs> okay, perfect. What is one of the ways that you take care of yourself other than singing? So when I'm really taking care of myself, I make time for creativity. Creativity really feeds me, really eases my mind, makes me happy. I, I like to make things. I like to make jewelry. I like to make music. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how do you find time? I mean, not just for that, but for singing as well. How do you, how do you make that time to take care of yourself? Well, you know, I raised two daughters. One is 21 now and one is 25. And mm. I learned to create 
in the cracks Mm -hmm. because, you know, my life, my schedule, my time, my best laid plans, you know, motherhood just really shifted all of that. And so it became about not being so precious about the when and just throwing myself into the little moment that I had, whether it was at a red light where I suddenly had a song idea and throw it on my phone. You know, I think that's really when my songwriting practice began to grow because I would just have a thought in a car, in the car on the way to pick someone up or drop someone off and I would honor it and throw it down on, at that time, not on my iPhone. I would call with my whatever, my little flip phone and leave a message on my home answering machine (laughs) so that I would remember this little idea. Um, So I don't know, song lives in the cracks and creativity lives in the cracks for me. It's, it's luxurious if there's just a day where there's nothing and I can sit around and just play. I don't, I don't necessarily wait for those days anymore. That's beautiful. So you co-direct the Golden Bridge Choir, and I love that in some ways your preparation for being a song leader started in Vermont, my state. Yes. I think that. I love that. Um, And then you chose to study with Issei Barnwell, the extraordinary Issei Barnwell, and with the Community Choir Leadership Training in Canada. So you've done a lot of work to prepare yourself for leading people in community. And I'm wondering, what what was it that led you to voice in community? You know, as you say, the seeds were planted in Vermont. I was very fortunate at the age of seven, turning eight, because I have a summer birthday. Um, I was sent off for two months with the name tapes in my sweaters and the itchy wool blanket and all the other things that were on the packing list in the camp trunk. I was sent off to Camp Killalit, which still exists in Hancock, Vermont, uh, at that time run by Pete Seeger's brother John and his wife Ellie. And the counselors were all folk musicians. So whether they were, mostly whether they were (laughs) teaching riding or archery, whatever, everybody played something and sang something. So I was so fortunate that I landed in this place surrounded by music and I could take banjo lessons and dulcimer lessons. I'm not a particularly good instrumentalist. You know, I think I stopped learning at about 13. But but though but my roots are there and really the roots of the campfire and that experience and that feeling of warmth and togetherness and harmony and and that was home to me. That that was just my my favorite place to be. It made going back to New York City mighty tough at the end of the summer. Um, so I think that I always looked for the campfire, no matter where I went, and whether that was in theater or in, in music, I was, ser- I was searching for that feeling. And I developed a really strong interest in African music and gospel music at a very young age for, you know, mysterious reasons, the way certain kinds of music resonate with you and call to you and inspire you. Uh, And so that led me early on to the music of Sweet Honey and the Rock. I was at an acting school in San Francisco, I think my senior year, uh, right after my senior year of high school, I think. And, um, And one of the other students there introduced me to Sweet Honey. So, you know, that was just a complete game changer for me. And then I was, again, I think life is mystical and amazing. And the way it directs you when you don't know you're being directed. I was doing some activism work in New York, and I met a woman who who had been given a job teaching at the Omega Institute in upstate New York for its very first Arts Week. And she said, um, she was a sign language interpreter, and she said, would you come and be in my class? Because I don't know anybody there, and I don't know what this place is. And, And Omega had never done an Arts Week before. And so I went. And it, it was there that I met all of these incredible people. And the next year, Isai Barnwell was there in the catalog teaching her first ever 
vocal workshop, which was called Black Choral and Congregational Singing at the time. And I was the first person on the phone calling in the middle of winter <laughs> saying, I want to sign up, I want to sign up. And, you know, and, and that really, that really shifted my life completely because being in that room with 60 people and being her student for seven, it was a seven day workshop. And, wow. uh, and she just showed me what was possible. I didn't walk out of that room thinking I was going to be a teacher. I walked out of that room with my relationship to song completely cracked open. I walked out singing my prayers, and that changed me. And I ended up in New York with a lot of people who'd been there who wanted to sing, and somebody found a space, and in we went, and nobody, there was no leadership, and nobody knew what to do. And because I'd been listening to that music for so long, it was in my body, and I just became the de facto leader in that group. And that's, that's how it started. Yeah, so it was the song coming through you, in a way. Yeah. 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 So, so some people have had experiences with their voices that make them feel like it's not okay to sing. Mm-hmm. Like they would never have signed up for that workshop because they would be like, oh, I can't let her hear my voice. Issa Barnwell, you know, I, I wouldn't dare sing in front of her yes. or anybody else. How do you address that? You know, I have a personal relationship to it in that, you know, I've always loved to sing, but I wasn't necessarily born with the instrument that the culture I grew up in appreciated or applauded. I had a low voice. I was a low alto, even as a 12-year-old in in choir in school. I was an anomaly. I didn't really, you know, my soprano voice wasn't strong. And then I, then, you know, I, in pursuing my acting career, I did some musical theater work when I was younger and I never felt good about it this voice mm-hmm. that I was given. It felt like it was missing things. And I went to a million teachers and I tried this and all I was trying to fit myself into this cultural idea of what a woman's voice is supposed to sound like. That's really interesting because when I work with, I've worked with beginning singers or people who felt like they couldn't sing for many years. And many of the women who have come through and, and worked with me have very low voices naturally. Yeah. And they've and so it's been difficult for them to match pitch. And many of the women who felt like they couldn't match pitch simply had low voices. That's right. And so the pitches they were being asked to match at the beginning were out of their range originally. And so we worked on finding pitches that were in their range and they had beautiful voices, lovely voices. I have seen the same with choir members who've come to me for over the years, men specifically who've come to me over the years for some help, uh, men who have pitched challenge issues. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've sat together, one gentleman came to me in particular, and we sat at the piano and we, you know, we did some fun exercises and I, you know, we fooled around, I tried to make it super light. He has a beautiful voice and it was hiding in there and traumatized by people telling him no, no, no. And he actually had Mm -hmm. a beautiful high tenor and he just couldn't find the lower pitches that were expected of him in the mm. settings that he was in, he couldn't hear them. Yeah. And because he couldn't hear them, yeah. he was moving so quickly to try to match it without letting his body take it in. And when I said to him, that's it, that's the note. And he said, don't lie to me. Yeah. He just didn't believe me. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's really a very tender and important arena to, to invite everybody to the table. And yeah. the setting of my choir, which is non-auditioned and uh, intergenerational and no sheet music and all the rest, there's great safety in numbers. And there are many scared singers who come and many traumatized mm-hmm. singers who come. And, you know, over time, you with when you're surrounded by all that love and all that harmony, some of that trauma starts to melt away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's 
that's been part of my inspiration for doing the work I do the way I do it. Mm. I think that was one of the challenges during the last year, during the Zoom time, I found is that people don't have that safety net of other people around them saying, I love your voice. I love your voice just the way it's showing up. Yes. You know, they had to start saying it to themselves in their isolated room in front of their computer. And that's hard. It's been a very brave time for a lot of people to have to hear their own voice in their own house. And I know, you know, I've had that same experience because I've been running choir on Zoom this year. Mm -hmm. And we've also done a bunch of virtual recordings. The beauty for me of that moment is that if I can encourage everybody to be brave enough, and I found some cool workarounds for how to do this, but um, encourage people to be brave enough to do the recording for me. And then I can put those voices together and every single one of their voices is in it. And then, and there's the beauty and the beauties in the community and the beauties in every voice. It's not the same sound unless every voice is in it. I mean, one of, one of the things that I, I did with my choir in this time, because I really felt, I felt the pain of that isolation and that singing alone and the the bravery and also just, I wanted to do something to mitigate that self-judgment for people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I held little mini Zoom sessions. Instead of just saying, here's the part, here's the recording, you go do it, send it back to me. I, I held these little mini Zoom sessions and we were together and we recorded it together oh, so fabulous. that it felt like choir. And it felt like what it feels like when, we're, when we were in, in a Zoom room together with many of us instead of just they have to go off on their own and figure it out. And it was a really nice way to do it. It made people feel really good. And then I said, I don't care. We broke songs up into tiny little chunks. I had them send me 20 sound files for one song. I don't care. Let's Fabulous. learn two lines at a time. Just this. Everybody got it? Okay, now we move on. And I just found new and different ways to invite people to still be a part of it, even people who were scared. That's great. What a great choir director. Yes. <laughs> That's the way it should be, in my opinion. Agree. So I read a great interview that you gave to Peter Ocio Grosso. I don't know how to mm. say his name. Yeah, he's fantastic. And I could basically just transcribe the whole thing into this podcast because it was so on point. Um, I'll stick a link in the show notes. You talked about the healing benefits of song, all the different ways that song heals. So many of those benefits, people can find them online with just a little bit of research, Googling about song, because there's a lot of scientific research supporting how much benefit we get from singing. But you talk about one that's a little harder to pin down through research. You talk about forgiveness. So Mm. tell me about that. Through these years of directing this community choir, this non-auditioned, not curated group of people, this is an open room. You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know who is going to be singing next to you or across from you, which is something that I've really loved about the last 15 years of my life with this choir, just people that I never would have known otherwise and opening up the community. So my experience is that when you teach a song to a group of people, and maybe it's a little bit challenging at first, that it would be easy to abandon it and just say, nope, you know, we can't do that, or something's wrong with it, or you're not getting it right, or it can't be gotten right. And for me, the process of staying in the game 
through that experience and loving the song, learning to love the song, nurture the song, be patient with the song, be patient with yourself, be patient with the section that's having trouble, be patient with the fact that today it, we, we did it too fast or we did it too slow or something fell apart. You know, it does happen in the process mm-hmm. of learning a song. And so in my experience is that it teaches you, if you're willing to love a song, if you're willing to forgive a song, all of its faults along the way to giving it its wings and letting it fly, then that experience translates to the way that you think of yourself and the way you think of other people. Because you can't stay with it unless you give a little bit of forgiveness back to yourself. And maybe people are reluctant. Sometimes there's some type A folks who kind of grumble and get angry and that, you know, it's got to be this and why isn't it that? And they have to struggle with their personality and their nature around it. But eventually, because we are not abandoning it, they have to stay in the game too. And I think it softens their relationship to themselves and their process. And for those who have a lot of self-judgment and think it's my fault, it's not working out because of me, they stay in the game. We love that area of the room too. And we love that song. We, we want that song to succeed. And we don't mm. do that for each other. And we don't do it for ourselves. You know, we're so quick to do the opposite. So I just mm. feel like the act of making music together is a phenomenal metaphor for, for learning how to be more forgiving of ourselves and our neighbors. You know, I've studied with Rhiannon, who is a vocal improvisation artist who works with Bobby McFerrin and, and others. And she told a story once that just really sank into me. I have a lot of trouble with that whole forgiveness thing. I have this expectation of myself. You should be doing this perfectly. You should be right on top of everything. And she said that early on when she was improvising, she did a show in front of some 750 women in San Francisco. And she came off stage and she said, you know, it was okay. She said probably most of the people at the show would say it was fine, but she didn't feel like it really went the way she'd wanted it to go. And she said she came off the stage and she sat down just on a couple of steps right off the stage. And she said to herself, okay, Re." If you don't forgive yourself right now, you're not going to be able to do this work. That was just so powerful to me to recognize that, oh, by not forgiving ourselves, we stop ourselves from being able to do this thing that we love. Yes, it's so true. And I think that it is in our nature as human beings to have the shadow, to have the voice that stops you, to have the voice that tells you, you sh- well, you shouldn't do that. You're not good enough or you shouldn't do that. You haven't practiced enough or you shouldn't do, you know, and that that is something we forever have to dance with. And in the best case scenario, we can put our little arm around it and say, shush, I have work to do. Yeah. Or, or even yeah. not work to do. I have joy. To, to receive and to make yes. and to bring, you know, and if you keep making all that noise, I can't do it. So, shh. <laughs> okay. So during the pandemic, some of the work you did was to create this beautiful Zoom song circle on Saturdays called Together in Song. And you had 200 plus attendees. The weeks that I was there, I think sometimes you had more And most striking to me about that Zoom circle was the fabulous diversity of people you brought together in a room. You had three artists every week. Sometimes the artists were in pairs, so there was more than three. You had yourself, you had Emil Hassan Dyer, whom you work with, your co-choir director. So talk to me about how you meet and befriend such a wide variety of song creators, of people. 
You know, it is an amazing thing. I, th I have been on this music road, this song road, for many years. Before I started the choir, which is now going to be in its 16th year, I spent the 15 years prior teaching once a month here in Los Angeles, just doing a big gathering, big song circle. And so I've been on that road for, for so long. And I guess what the only thing I can say about it is that songs take me places. Songs lead me to people. It was through hearing the river that I reached out to Coco Love Alcorn so many moons ago to say, hey, this is me. I'm in Los Angeles. I love your song. I'd love to do it with my choir. And that sort of cracked open a whole new road for her as well. Um, and sometimes you don't, sometimes there's a closed door at the end of one of those emails that you send or other ways I try to reach people. But frequently the door opens and I've made some incredible friends over the years. And also as a teacher traveling and teaching at retreat centers and other places like that, I've met many other song leaders and we've become close. So really, I can only say that it's the practice of making music with other people that has led me to other people. It's quite miraculous yeah. and beautiful and it surprises me. It often surprises me that I have this beautiful extended community that really just... I don't know. We just found each other because we continue to walk on parallel paths and then the roads cross and all of a sudden I'm, you know, uh, I met Maura Smiley because, oh, I met Maura Smiley because I fell in love with her song, her river the song. Percussion. <laughs> uh, oh, not yes. Sylvie, but her, uh, um, you know, river. Uh, come yes, and yes, stand yes, yes. in that river. river. Right? Mm, and yep. I heard it done by a children's choir in Northern California. I reached out to that choir director, this is ages ago, and I said, I love your song. You know, I'd, I, I run a choir, I'd love to do it. She said, that's not my song. That's Maura Smiley's song. You know, she lives where you live. And so then I knew that a friend of mine had been at a music camp where Maura was teaching and knew how to reach her. So I, you know, like that. Yes. It's this great yes. game of telephone. And I've built some really, really beautiful relationships. And in Together in Song, I reached out to new people, people who don't know me. Once the container was there and I knew what I was doing and I knew what it looked like, I put together a little kind of pitch letter and a little pitch video and I would mm -hmm. send it, reach out to people through Instagram and other ways and say, hey, I'm doing this. And, you know, a handful of people never got back to me, but a lot of people did. It's beautiful. It's one of the things that your song circle did for myself and I think for many other song leaders was open up new voices to us. So I could reach out to people and say, I loved this song that you did with Maggie Wheeler. Well, I bought your album and I, you know, listened to this and I'd like to use this song with my group. Is that okay? And so there was an opening. Emily Elbert with her Make the Path by Walking and all, I could name many people. It's a beautiful um, thing and it, it's great. It did, it, it's a great thing also that it did expand that network that by sharing links and sharing ways to reach those artists that it expanded their audiences and they were able to sell more CDs and, and make mm -hmm. wider relationships and have choirs sing their songs. And I mean, it's just, it was such a beautiful ripple effect. I'm hoping this podcast does something similar. Just in a, I think a smaller way, just a little bit at a time. I hope it yeah. will, and I think it will. Like many song leaders, this isn't your only career. So many people grew to love you as an actor and a voiceover artist first. I did it a little backwards. During the 90s, when Friends came out, we didn't have a television. So I didn't watch it. I heard about it. You know, everybody was talking about friends. I heard about Janice, in fact, because people <laughs> would talk. And people taught me, oh my 
Scott. So I learned about Janice, but I never saw her until the other night when I was getting ready for this interview. My kids said to me, my, I have a 25-year-old and a 29-year-old, 26-year-old and 29-year-old. And they said to me, Mom, if you're going to interview Maggie Wheeler, you should watch some of Friends. <laughs> That's great. And I've even sung the theme song in a chorus that I was in. We sang the theme song, which is a great theme song. It um, is a great theme song. But anyway, so I went and watched. I loved it. What a great show. <laughs> it's such a funny show. So, so yeah, so many people grew to love you first through your work as an actor and as a voiceover artist. And I'm wondering how you as an actor interact or nourish, how that part of you feeds the part of you that is a songwriter hmm. or feeds the part of you that is a song leader. And I know those those are sort of three different different roles. They all share creativity, but how do they feed each other? Uh, That's an interesting question. I wonder what the answer is. You know, I mean, acting work and working as an actor is being is really like being a professional gambler. There is no, you know, there's nothing to rely on. There's nothing to lean on. There's no consistency. There's no guarantee. So for me, the answer to, to feeding my actor self has always been to have a very expansive other self. Mm. Uh, so that I am, you know, especially in my younger days, that I would not be driven mad by my desire to succeed as an actor. Mm. Um, I, and, I, and, you know, something that I say to young actors too, you know, lean in to having a very full life because you will need it. There's too many deserts in between the oasis of an acting job. I love my work as an actor, but I don't rely on it because you can't. I try to be ready and bring my whole self to it if and when it comes. But but my work as a song leader, I carry with me, I take with me. I don't ask permission from from someone else to do that work. Right. I just carry it with me on my back from wherever I am in whatever community or wherever I go. That's just incredibly liberating. So I would say that my life as a song leader and a songwriter and a choir director definitely feeds my life as an actor because it gives me a foundation as a human being. But I'm not sure how my acting work feeds my other work, except to say that I'm a that that to the extent that I'm I'm a public person as an actor, that I'm that I'm outgoing, that I'm expressive, that I'm not afraid to stand up and be silly, or look mm-hmm. silly. That mm-hmm. has definitely given me some of the skills that I utilize as a song leader, because being a song leader is very vulnerable. It's very human. It's full of mistakes. It's full of you know. I used to when I was younger. I used to just work so hard to know everything before I ever entered a room to never make a mistake to I would study and you know just be so overly prepared Um, but again becoming a parent changed that so much of what I do I have to accept the fact that I might not be 100% prepared I just have to be ready Mm. and trust yourself and trust. trust trust that what you're bringing is is enough yeah yeah what about the songwriting Mm. songwriting I would say two things. I would say that uh, being with the choir, my choir is intergenerational, and so I have there are kids there, and and I ended up writing music for the kids. It started that way. Mm. Oh well, it you know actually that's not one hundred percent true. Here's the real truth. I took a radical step when I decided to do CCLT, which is the Community Choir Leadership Training in Canada. My children were ten and six. I was a very hands-on parent. I did not ever leave their side. I did not. I left one eye open while sleeping, 
And, and I arrived at this moment in my life where I needed to do something for myself. I, I, as I, I had mm. been over-parenting, and my uh-huh. tank was empty, and I needed to do something. So what I did was I went away for a week to Hollyhock in Canada to sing with Izai. And I hadn't seen her in, in some time, and we spoke on the phone, and I said, I'm going to take my first break from parenting. Um, where should I go? Should I go to Esalen, where I'd never been, or to this place, Hollyhock, where I'd never been? I decided to go to Hollyhock, and I met all these incredible people from Canada, and they told me about CCLT. So I left, there's a woman named Gloria Hansen who came up to me, a rather sort of famous story in my family now, came up to me uh, during that week and said, you know, the people in my, who run my choir in Canada, they do a, a leadership training, a choir leadership training, you know, you should come, you're perfect for it. And I said, oh, thanks, yeah, no thanks, I just left my kids for the first time in 10 years, I probably won't do it again for another 10, but that's a nice idea. And then on the day I was leaving, she tapped me and she said, you know, I would just like to um, leave you with this quote by Balzac. And I I always ruin the quote because I only remember what I heard her say, which is, (laughs) for those who don't follow their soul's vocation, it just bleeds like the colors of paint through the rest of their lives. Okay, have a nice trip home. (laughs) And so off I went. And I came back to New York and I thought, I mean, New York to Los Angeles. And I thought, oh, God, maybe I have to go do this training. Before you bleed through the colors of your Exactly. So as for I don't answer my soul's vocation. So anyway, I gathered up the courage to do this crazy thing, to leave my kids for two weeks, to go someplace I'd never gone. You do all the crazy things. It was for me it was radical. And it was there that I started really writing music. Because there I was, surrounded by like minded humans, passionate about leading song every day for hours a day, singing together. I would go home to my little room with my cassette recorder and suddenly the songs, and I, and I could finish a thought, finish a sentence. I had no children saying, mommy, mommy, mm-hmm. mommy. Mm-hmm. And it was there that I wrote my first CD, which is called Sweet Time. Mm. Um, and so I think that's where it started. And then being in the choir, I started writing for the kids. And now, it's a, now I have a different relationship to it. Now I just feel like it's part of my spiritual practice in a way to listen. And whether that only means, and I sing my way through life. You know, I mean, I sing my way to the kitchen. I sing my way to get the mail out. Of, I, I, I sing, sing ridiculous things. But I sometimes like what they sound like. And when I like what they sound like, I put them on my phone. Even if the words, even if all I'm saying is, I need to get the mail. The mail just came. And I need to get the mail because the mail just came. Even if it's as dumb as that. Uh, if I like the way it sounds, I'll throw it on my phone. And later, I might revisit it and the words will come. Or sometimes it goes the other way around. I love that respect for what's coming out. Bobby McFerrin tells a story about the fact that he used to embarrass his kids to no end because when they went out for pizza, he would sing his order to the waiter. <laughs> it just drove, drove his kids crazy, you know. But he's, he says, sing. Why not sing? Yeah, why not? Why not sing? Okay, I want to bring this interview to a close. And this is my very first interview for this show. So you've been so wonderful. I'm so honored to be the first. <laughs> And I listened to a ton of podcasts getting ready to do this podcast. And one of the things that I loved was when interviewers finished with a lightning round of questions. Okay. Just sort of so. Let me me fasten my seatbelt. Okay. (laughs) Get ready. Here we go. What's an album that was really important to you? Sweet Honey in the Rock live at Carnegie Hall. What is your favorite soup? I love any vegetarian soup as long as it doesn't have eggplant in it, which I'm allergic to. Okay. What is your favorite replacement curse word? Mm, I use the real ones. 
Oh, okay. Even when you're in front of your 10-year-old and your 6-year-old? Oh, I'm afraid so. They, they would know. <laughs> okay. I'm afraid Excellent. so. Excellent. What is a sound that you feel strongly about or you react strongly to? Oh, the sound of her voices singing in harmony. Okay. Who is an artist you wish more people listened to? Mm. Um, well, let's see. I mean, I listen to Rising Appalachia a lot, and I, mm. I, I think everybody, everybody's lives would benefit from a little bit of, of that magic. Um, Amy Ringel's Human and Tender CD oh, keeps me album. company, and if people don't know it, I, 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 mm. I recommend it. And then I listen to a South African group called The Soil, which I am in love with, and, uh, and so there you go. I could keep that. That's a question I could answer all day long. <laughs> Not a lightning round question. No. Excellent. And last, before we close, where can we find you and follow your projects by your music? At goldenbridgechoir.com. There's a handful of singles that are available on the homepage. Then there's a store where you can, it can lead you to my CDs, which I think are also available on street, all the platforms. And I, I don't even know how to say that, but they're out there. But my mm-hmm. website will take you there. And I'm currently working on a project that's based on some of the music that I've written in this past year. So I'm very excited to say that I will at some point release that but I, I started sort of officially working on it yesterday and I'm excited about that and um, and also I'm working on an, a video archive of Together in Song which I'm hoping to release sometime in mid-July late July um, so that people who were there can come back and revisit that and that people who weren't there can have that experience as well so I think I want to say stay tuned for all of that and add yourself to my mailing list at goldenbridgechoir.com Excellent. A huge thank you, Maggie. Thank you so much, Patricia. And a big thank you to our listeners. I'm so glad you all are singing with us. Let me remind you that your review, here we go, on Apple Podcasts helps people we don't even know yet to find the show. And you subscribing and sharing the link with your friends really matters. We're making a difference in ourselves, each other, and our world. Visit abreathofsong.com to see the show notes with the lyrics, sign up to know when the next episode is released, suggest a song or a songwriter for the podcast. You can suggest another one of Maggie's songs. We'll bring them back. Leave something in the tip jar to help cover the costs. If there's leftover before I get paid, 25% will be donated to the Jazz Foundation of America. And I talk a bit about why that is in the intro episode. So let's sing Find Our Way Home again to help our brains remember it. And of course, you can download this episode and listen as many times as you'd like. But I bet if you're like me, you've kind of forgotten it by now. And if we sing it again, it'll settle down a little further in your brain. And I might sing along too this time. Maggie, can you do that for us? Yes, absolutely. Here we go. And this song will be included in the project that I'm working on right now, so. We We are out here in the open water No clear direction to carry on We are out here in the open water Together we'll find, find our way home We are out here in the open water No clear direction to carry on We are out here in the open water Together we'll find, find our way home 
We are out here in the open. We are out here together. We are out here together. for joining Maggie and me today for a breath of song. I'm grateful that you're taking care of yourself and listening to your voice. I believe making a better world starts with tuning in to ourselves and each other, which is what we just did. So yay us. Next time we'll plant another song. Be well.